It's always great to hear all the different conversations and, and everyone catching up from where you've, uh, you've missed catching up over the past week. My, um, my suggestion might be that, hey, if, if, if you guys are only catching up for those five minutes a week, maybe you should share phone numbers or something, you know? I mean, just, just so that's a, you know, I'm only saying, so you can continue the conversation over a cup of coffee. And I think it's great um, because I do believe that fellowship is, um, is one of the, the elements of worship that specifically listed out in Acts 2.42 of, of our time together as a family of God. And that fellowship is because I, I honestly believe that each one of us, because we each have the Spirit of God in us, we bring a presence of God in close proximity to another person. And uh, that in, in itself is relational in how we can continue to lift one another up and pray for one another um, and continue to love God's children. We are in our fifth week of uh, the Bibliology series. Uh, if you're new with us, Bibliology I thought was a made-up word. I thought that I made it up, but I, I guess I didn't. Someone else made it up before me. However, I don't believe that many people use it. Uh, Bibliology basically meaning the study of the Bible, the study of the Scriptures. And um, the series is more about giving us an, an oversight or some perspectives to look at or to consider as we're studying Scripture. Now, I'm um, expecting that in the midst of this series, we are reading and studying our Bibles. I did not start off with that caveat, but I've just expected that that's something that we do. If you haven't been, let this be your command to start reading your Bibles. Now you have enough information thus far to begin reading even some of those difficult passages. Because as we started with the message series, we recognize there's some things that we enter into the study of Scripture. There's some ideas and some, um, um, some, um, some values that we have to adhere to whenever we approach Scripture that really do help us whenever we are trying to understand difficult passages or trying to understand the true spirit of God's Word. And we began the first week of talking about the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign, that He is in control all the time of all things. Nothing happens outside of His permission. That's a good thing to remember as we're reading through Scripture. Next one was God is just. Um, that's, that's, that's a really good one for us to remember whenever we're reading through, especially the Old Testament, the justice of God and the, the, um, the injustice of man and how man and God have been at odds with each other since the fall of Adam. And that, that, that what was just for a fallen, disobedient man was death. But on occasion, God would, uh, God would have grace and he would offer grace to those that he deemed to have grace on. And the part, uh, third part, we talked about God being holy, how we need to be reverent whenever we approach God, that we need to be reverent whenever we approach scriptures that are God-breathed, which means that our peop- uh, the, the men that wrote scripture, they were inspired by the Spirit of God to write down the things that they wrote down. And therefore, we should consider these things that are set apart by a holy God as holy and honor it. In part four, we talked about all of Scripture being true. It doesn't mean that everything in it is right and that not everything done in Scripture was done the right way. But we can be confident that all was true because God is true and if God inspired men to write 
Scripture. He is true, therefore he works through the truthfulness of the men that were writing the Scripture, therefore the Scripture had to be true. And this week we're going to be speaking of how when we approach, when we approach Bible study, there's a couple of different ways that, um, that folks will seem to read the Bible. Now they'll read it a lot of times with their eyes and with their brain. And they read it with their eyes and their brain. They read the words and they, they immediately begin to apply the, what I would call the letter of Scripture into their life. And this can, this can be helpful, but it also can be extremely dangerous. And the reason that it's dangerous is, um, well, let me give you an example that I think is, uh, is probably very close to our, um, our thoughts this morning, uh, being that tomorrow is July the 4th, our Independence Day. Uh, everybody recognizes that that's kind of the, the country's birthday. The Declaration of Independence was written. And in that Declaration of Independence, there was a statement in the second paragraph that stated this, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, for all of us who appreciate that, we go, here, here, that's right, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And then the writers of the Constitution borrowed from that phrase and they instilled it into the United States Constitution in which the, the Fifth and the Fourteenth Amendment both use that same language of the Constitution that all people are, are guaranteed life, liberty, and, um, and the property that they own with, uh, that they, they can't have those things taken away without due process. They can't have them taken away by the government. Now, we all look at that and we say, well, that sounds good, until we go in and we read those words and we apply them to the letter of those things. Because if I were to do that, then I would say, going back to the Declaration of Independence, that all men are created equal. Well, I'm fortunate because I'm a man. Women, I'm sorry. Men are created equal, but... Do you see what I'm saying? See how this could be dangerous? This is only talking about men here. Or how might I define life? How might I define liberty? I, that means if I were to go in and, and read the letter of this and make the own, my own definitions of what I feel like is life in my own life, what I feel like is liberty, what I feel like makes me happy, then all of a sudden this could be dangerous for everyone else around me. Because now I'm, I'm advocating for my definition of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's because of these particular things, it's because of these misapplications that we have a judicial system that has to go through the Constitution regularly. And the judicial system, all they do is they go through and they, they study the Constitution and they, um, they interpret it. They interpret it to reveal to us what was the intended meaning of these words in the Constitution. What was the intended meaning of having life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? What was the, what was the spirit behind it? And hence the reason we have just recently come through um, a, a landmark ruling with the, um, with the reversal of Roe versus Wade. 
There had been a, a there had been varying definitions over the years of what it meant to offer someone life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. See how it can be dangerous. And when it comes to the Constitution and the judicial system that is constantly changing, those interpretations are, are, are also changing. And sometimes for the good and sometimes for the bad, depending on what side of the platform you stand on. But the truth is that if we, if we read through these documents, especially as we read through Scripture, if we try to stick um, wholeheartedly to the letter of Scripture we can find that it leads to being legalistic. If we try to stick to every single word and every single, every single clause that Scripture states for us and to us, we could find ourselves being extremely legalistic. See, when I was young, and I'm going to say when I was young, when I was living at home, um, my mother had a very legalistic letter reading of scripture and hence because of this particular passage I was not allowed to cut off my sideburns I didn't have to wear the long ringlets but I was not allowed to you know my mom would say you're not supposed to cut your sideburns off because in Leviticus 19 it says you and you don't get tattoos So you could imagine her frustration when I was 30 and I had my first tattoo. And we can find that we follow these things to the letter, to the legalism of the law. So that is why we have these with Orthodox Jews today. And they see these things that are coming down under their hats. That's their hair. They don't shave the sides of their heads. Because of this passage right here. Don't cut off the hair on the sides of your heads or mar the edge of your beard. Don't make gashes on your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Well, is that what the scripture actually said? Well, sure, that's what the letter of it said. But what God was getting at was that you're moving into, I'm taking you into a nation that practices pagan worship. And in these pagan worship, in these worship ceremonies, these people who do not honor me as God do these things. They shaved the size of their head. God bless every man and woman, or every man that entered into the military, because they just have broken every single one of those, shaving the size of their heads. And they make gashes on their bodies. They put tattoos on their bodies in the midst of these pagan worship rituals for celebrating the dead. God's saying, You're different than that. Don't do those things. Don't do, it's not that you don't do them at all, but don't mimic the practices of pagan worshipers. That's what the spirit of this passage was getting at. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we do need to, to look at the letter of Scripture. And we need to say, you know what, this is, this is important. This is something that's applicable in my life. This is something that I need to adhere to. You know, things like, don't murder. Things like don't commit adultery. Don't steal. We can all agree that those are actually good things to, to adhere to, right? Uh, the, the behavior. Let's not, let's not um, perform outward signs of these things. But even within those, the letter of the scripture, the letter of that law, 
that was given to us by Moses, Jesus even went further and said, well, it's, it's, it's good to adhere to the letter of the law in this, but, but still, don't forget the spirit of it. Don't forget the spirit of what God is trying to tell you here. You see, we who are spirit, we, we seek to honor a God who is spirit. And we can't neglect the spirit of the same commands that God has given us and how we should behave and how we should react. You see, even Jesus said in Matthew 5, He says, you've always heard that, uh, said to our ancestors, do not murder and whoever murders will be subject to the judgment. Now, there's the very legalistic part of it. Do not, do not form an action that murders. Lost me here. Right. And did I say something that offended somebody? I... <laughs> Goodness. Uh, I was about to pick up a microphone and keep going. But Jesus says it's not just about the behavior. There's a, there's a spiritual aspect of this command that you also need to understand and adhere to as well. I tell you, he says in verse 22, everyone who is angry with his brother and, or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be the subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be the subject to hellfire. See, Jesus goes even further and he says, you know what, there's a, there's a problem not just in the behavior, in the letter of the law, there's a problem in the heart of it, in the spirit of it as well. And he goes on to say as well that regarding adultery, is it good not to, not to cheat on your spouse? Absolutely. But Jesus says, going further, he says, but I'm telling you, in verse 28 of chapter 5, whoever looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The letter or the spirit? Or sometimes is it a combination of both? One thing we have to be certain of is we have to be able to discern when we are reading scripture, are these things that we should apply to ourselves and our own personal behavior? Or is this a, a, a spiritual teaching that God is trying to impress upon us? I mean, how do we know? How do we know whether to interpret Scripture literally or spiritually? In fact, that can be a lot of hang-ups for us as we're reading through Scripture. And we, we hear some people say that there's contradictions in Scripture. And this is where they, they get those things from. Should we take the literal approach or the spiritual approach? And the truth is, the only way we will know is that we have to rely on God to tell us. We have to rely on God to tell us. And that's why the Spirit, the Spirit in each one of us as we're reading through Scripture, is essential. And prayer is vital. You know, to read through Scripture as a book, as a textbook, or a history book, or as a set of instructions. I don't even like the, that, that acronym, Basic Instructions for Before Leaving Earth. That was a big thing whenever I was a kid going through VBS. They said Bible stood for Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. So I'm going, oh, this is a big rule book. I guess I've got to follow all of this. But as I grew older, I'm going, there's no way that I could follow all of this. There's, there's got to be something underlying within the character of God in Scripture that I'm missing because I'm reading what I should do 
but yet I'm not understanding spiritually how I'm being, how I should be transformed to be more like God. See, we can't just read through Scripture with our eyes, comprehend it with our minds. We need to be asking the Lord. It needs to be a constant prayer as we're reading Scripture. Father, what is it that you truly want to reveal to me in this teaching? Is it a way that I need to shift my behavior? Or is it a way that I should shift my thinking? Is it a way that I should shift my heart towards something? Paul gives us an example of how, the, um, how we can miss the spirit of Scripture. In Deuteronomy, God gives, um, God gives Moses some, uh, a set of laws. And in that set of laws, he writes this one particular line. He says, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Now, if we read that word for word and keep the literal interpretation of it, we're going, God really cares about oxes. And in some cases, people would look at that and they would, and they would specifically attribute that only to their, their beasts of burden. They would feel like, well, this is what God's thought. And they, and they carry that particular behavior for without realizing that God's trying to tell you something even greater and deeper within that statement. And Paul fortunately gives us gives us a, a, greater, a, a, a deeper um, insight into that particular scripture. He says, it's written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. But is God really concerned about the oxen? Isn't he really saying this particular statement for our sake? Absolutely, this is written for our sake. He's talking about people here. Because he who plows ought to plow in hope. He who threshes should thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things, he's talking about himself. If we have shown spiritual things to you, it's too much, is it too much that we reap material benefits from you? Now to give a picture of what Paul is talking about, as what they would do is they would, they would harness an ox on the, what was called the threshing room floor when they were threshing wheat when they were separating the wheat from the chaff, an ox would, would walk around this, this pole, and as he's walking around, either with his feet or by dragging a, a large board or a stone, would drag it over the wheat and thresh out the wheat, separate it from the wheat and the chaff. And what God is saying in the literal sense is, look, let the ox eat while he's working. Don't keep him from enjoying a little bit of the proceeds of the work that he's producing for you. And Paul's saying, look, this wasn't about the ox all along. This is about each one of us that whenever we work, we also work with the expectation that God's going to provide, that hope still resides in the midst of our work, that we are going to share in the crop, that we're going to share in the resources and in the proceeds as we are obedient to doing the work of the Lord. And for Paul, his particular application was that he was telling the folks that, hey, look, we've been here serving you. It's okay if you pay us, if you give us something to eat. You know, Jesus also, he called out the Pharisees on regular occasion for keeping the letter, the legalistic uh, 
form of the law and scripture and missing the spirit of it. Jesus speaks to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You pay a tenth of mint and dill and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These things should have been done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but gulp down a camel. See, what the Pharisees were doing is they, they took the tithe they took the tithe to the nth degree. Not just with tithing their income, not just tithing their first fruits, their vegetables and, 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 and flocks, but they tithed everything. If you brought it into your house, you tithe from that. And, they were, and they, Jesus was saying that they even went as far as tithing their spices. Could you imagine going through your spice cabinet and you've got to pick out 10% of that and give it to the Lord? Everything in your house, everything that you own, a tenth of that belongs to the Lord. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You've kept that letter of the law. You've kept the legalistic um, interpretation of Scripture. But yet, the more important things, the spirit of what I have been trying to teach you, the, the heart change, the heart uh, and the spiritual um, values and characteristics of God. Like... Loving justice, being merciful to others, being faithful, those things you've completely neglected. And I think sometimes, you know, we can be guilty of that as well. We start reading through Scripture and we pick out things that we feel like we all of a sudden need to change our behavior to follow this particular thing in Scripture, that God is calling me to do this particular thing rather than recognizing what is God trying to teach me here. And maybe he is asking us to change our behavior. But through the spirit and prayer, that's the only way that we're going to come to realize what it is in, in heart, what he's trying to teach us. So just as we went back to the Leviticus passage, we're shaving off the sides of your head and, and ga making gashes on your your arms and tattoo marks and things like that, how that could be taken literal and legalistic. But yet, other things like the Pharisees would, were doing, neglecting justice and mercy and faithfulness. You know, they, they pick and choose. They do the behavior, but they fail to allow their spirit to be transformed. And we're guilty of that as well. I think all of us are, in a sense. When you think about the legalistic things, the ritualistic things that we do, you know, we'll, we'll wear a cross around our neck or some of us get it tattooed on our arm. Don't tell mom. We'll make, our, make sure that we're in church every Sunday. To worship the one true God. We tell our kids about Jesus. And that Jesus was God. Jesus is God. There is only one true God. And then we tell them about the magic of Christmas. Or if you want something. You wish upon a star. You see the action. The behavior. The legalistic stuff. We often do very well. But the spiritual things we struggle with. 
You see, if we don't apply the spirit of Scripture as we're reading through it, we're just going through the motions. We're going to miss the heart of the matter. And that's what God wants us to take away. Because we realize that whenever we study Scripture, and Jesus was one that I believe revealed this better than anyone, that reading Scripture, not just the New Testament, but even in the Old Testament, because that's what Jesus taught from, He said, studying Scripture is a heart game. It's not a head game. We have to read it in heart and spirit, not just for knowledge, not just for history. Let me introduce you to a man, a very prominent um, New Testament and uh, Bible scholar. His name is Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman is the, um, is the professor of religious studies at UNC Charlotte, a very highly decorated Bible professor. His early, st- his early study and his early focus was on biblical textual criticism. Now, that's a big fancy word to say that he was, he was comparing and criticizing Scripture to look for inadequacies and, and, and discrepancies within Scripture. That was what his main study was early. But yet he's, he became this, this highly decorated professor of, of the Bible. And he still is. He actually is. He's actually the professor of religious studies right now. He's got 30 books that he's written some of them including Misquoting Jesus, Jesus Interrupted, God's Problem, Forged, How Jesus Became God, and The Triumph of Christianity. He sold more than 2 million books on the New York Times bestseller list, and they've been translated into 27 languages. Bart Ehrman is also an atheist. And you're probably scratching your head and go, What? How in the world can you be a Bible professor and have all and be he's hired by institutions over and over again to speak on theology and and um, and scriptural interpretation. But he doesn't shy back to say that he is an atheist. You see, I believe that what happened with Bart Ehrman is that he made Bible study purely academic. He took a purely academic approach to reading and studying Scripture. He did not, he did not apply whatsoever faith. He did not apply whatsoever the Spirit, the prayer in understanding the Word of God. It was all about the intricacies of the sentence structure and the letters and the numbers and how things were translated between Greek and Hebrew and the different translations. It was, it was very scientific. You would say that Dr. Ehrman was very legalistic in his approach to Scripture. And he missed the entire point. In fact... He once was a follower of Jesus Christ and through his study renounced his faith.
if we're not careful, I think that can happen to more than just him. If we look at Scripture as just a book, a book of facts, a book of instructions, then we can also fall into this same trap. But if we look at it as being the inspired Word of God that has an underlying spirit of truth for each one of us on how we know and how we relate to the one true God through His Son, Jesus Christ, then the things that we read then become much more, um, much more value to, valuable to us in our relationship with God on a spiritual level rather than just a legalistic level. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, he said, Such is the confidence we have through Christ before God. Paul puts Jesus Christ right squarely in the center of this statement. It's not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything is coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. Now just to pause for a second, Paul is about to speak on understanding and teaching the truths of God in Scripture. And he's saying that the competency that we have in able to do that as God would expect us, as God would prefer us to do it in the Spirit, comes from God. And it comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. See, we're not competent to do that in ourselves. We, we don't have the human capacity to think, to understand, to dissect this and get it right according to what God wanted us to know without applying our relationship with God without applying the spirit of God that he's given us through Christ. Verse 6, but he has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Following the letter of the law brings death. And we've read that over and over again. That's why we have the, the, the grace of Jesus Christ. Because what the law was unable to do, Christ accredited to each one of us through our faith and through His grace and mercy. It says if you go through and you try to read Scripture and you try to apply it to the letter of it and keep, keep the legalistic approach to it and make sure that you tick all the boxes and make sure that you behave in all the right ways, you're still going to die. However, if you, if you approach it with the Spirit, and not just any Spirit, but the particular Spirit that's given to us through Jesus Christ, as Paul states, so that we can interpret a holy teaching through a holy Spirit. If we approach it that way, he states at the end, the Spirit gives life. Each and every week we recognize the Spirit of God that is given as a free gift to each one of us 
through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, as we have been gifted that, has many, it has many responsibilities in our lives. But one of those things that I'm absolutely certain of is to be able to read and understand the Scriptures in the manner in which God had intended them whenever He wrote them. So that we're not misapplying and misinterpreting things, but that we're reading through and understanding the spirit of Scripture. What it is that God wants us to learn in our souls rather than just our behaviors. This morning as we commune together, I want us to thank God for the gift of that Spirit. Because of that, you and I, who call on, who have called on the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives, we can be grateful that we have that, that conduit by which to read Scripture and understand it in its spiritual context. Because without that Holy Spirit, we're just reading words on a page. We're just reading notations of history. We just become textual criticizers. And we have to remember that approaching Scripture like that by the letter of it, just as Dr. Ehrman and, and many like him, it's going to bring death. But understanding and accepting the spirit of what God is teaching us through Scripture, the spirit brings life. And we'll see the words that that are encapsulated in the canon of Bible start to jump out at us, not in our eyes and in our brains, but in our hearts. As we take the bread and the cup this morning, and again, this is an invitation for each and every um, man and woman that calls on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. This is not a... Um, a meal for partnership. This is Jesus' meal. And we believe that His table is open to all of those disciples of Him, whether this is your home church or not. Because we also believe that we are Christians here in this church, but we are not the only Christians. And everyone that follows the Lordship of Jesus Christ everyone that has made them their king and savior, they have the spirit of God in them. And for each one of us that have that spirit of God in, in us, we can thank God, not just with words, but in our spirits. Be grateful for the transformation of his scripture. Be grateful for the interpretation of Scripture in its intended form that's offered to each one of us from spirit to spirit.
you don't have a cup this morning, we'd like to bring one to you. If you, if you, do, you don't have to partake, it's not a necessity. It's not, you don't feel compelled to do that. But we do want to offer the opportunity for anyone that wants to commune this morning with the one true God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who has offered us the Spirit of God so that when we read His Word, we understand and we are transformed in the ways that He intended whenever He inspired the writers to write it down. Father, we're grateful for Your Word. We're grateful, Lord, um, beyond words and beyond um, in many ways beyond knowledge and understanding how grateful we really should be to have the canon of scripture in our presence and not just to have the words and the teachings of you God our father but to have the means by which to understand and to learn from the words that you have written Father, by the gift of your Spirit, made possible through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may we approach your word in the Spirit. Not reading for information. Not reading for instruction. But reading to be transformed. From your Spirit to ours. Father, we thank you and we celebrate the Son, Jesus Christ, who allowed himself to be sacrificed to offer us that same spirit. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Let's eat together.